Let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, hello? Someone just came in? Oh, yeah. Welcome to, well, as as the Reverend Colonel of Truth, Deacon O'Leary, my former deacon, says, it's an hour untouched by professionalism. That's not true. The producers and the voices in my head, they're pretty professional. They do a good job. That said, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. You know the one, the Bible. Well, this is a fun reading today from the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon. And it is quite a a, a text. Hark, my lover, here he comes, springing across the mountains, leaping across the hills, my lovers, like a gazelle or a young stag. Here he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattices. My goodness. Uh, arise, my beloved, my dove, my beautiful one, and come, for see, the winter is past. Boy, don't I wish that were true. The rains are over and gone. Uh, the time of pruning the vines has come. The song of the dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs. And the vines in bloom give fragrance. This is beautiful. Oh, my dove in the clefts of the rock. This is beautiful stuff. But it's very strange. Why is it in the Bible? It uh, <clears throat> This song, uh, the Song of Solomon, was very controversial. And in the process of canonization, uh, you know, canonization has nothing to do with, with artillery. Uh, the word, again, you've heard me say this before, so forgive me. The word canon is originally an Akkadian word. Akkadian is the grandfather language of all the Semitic languages. It, it uh, died out a couple millennia before Christ, but it was the classical, I think a couple millennia, it was the classical language. It is to the Semitic languages spoken today as Latin is to French and Italian and um, Romanian and Spanish. It's sort of the the original form of these languages. So Akkadian, spoken in the Tigris-Euphrates Valley. And in Akkadian, the word canon means a cane, as in a sugar cane, a cane growing in the swamp. These were used for the purposes of measuring. So a canon is a measuring rod. 
and the the canon of scripture is is uh, these are approved books that that um, uh, are normative. So that's what canon means. Now you know. So the Song of Solomon was accepted into the Jewish canon of scripture. The the list of books that Jews thought inspired in the um, couple hundred years after Christ. <clears throat> and there was argument uh, in the century immediately following Christ um, about uh, this book because the rabbis, a lot of rabbis thought it's just secular love poetry. It's a collection of love, song, love songs gathered around a, a theme. Uh, but the, the, the book was attributed to Solomon. Um, so it, it, it had to be, um, uh, put into the canon. I remember hearing, uh, a rabbinic argument that the book was so powerful in its, in its symbolism, its intimate symbolism. We said, knowing their little ears hissing, listening, uh, um, I don't think little ears is, but they listen, but it was thought to be so powerful that it needed to be put into the, the scriptures to protect it, to kind of sanitize it. And it became an allegory of of the love of God for Israel and for Christians, the love of God for the church. Um, uh, that it, 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 Rabbi Akiva defended that it was uh, canonical. Um, but he said, anyone who sings the song of songs in a tavern, uh, treating it as if it were just a, a, a common song forfeits his share in the world to come. So that was the idea. It was to, in a sense, to protect it from misinterpretation that it was sanctified. Okay. <laughs> that said, let us go back to the reading. It's a beautiful reading and it is about the, the relationship of Christ to the church. And, um, uh, it should be about the relationship of a husband and wife. Oh, my dove in the clefts of rock and the secret recesses of the cliff, let me see you, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and you are lovely. Now, the next one is from the book of Zephaniah. You could do the Song of Songs or the reading from the uh, book of Zephaniah. And it's, again, one of the, the Psalms that promises um, that the Lord will return uh Israel to Jerusalem. It was it was a song after the destruction of a prophecy after the um, after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. He will rejoice over you with gladness and renew you in his love. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. You know why would we read these just before Christmas? Because God's given us another chance. <laughs> we blew it in Adam and Eve, and now we're getting another chance in. Uh, in the birth of Christ, that that um, God does not give up. Both these readings are about God not giving up on on us. And I think that's a lovely thought. Well, let's go to the gospel. Luke, the first chapter, the 39th verse. Mary set out in those days and traveled to the hill country in haste. Um, I don't know that I, I want to mention it this way, but I, you know, I'm one of the people who believe that our ladies... Uh, submission, Our Lady's joyful acceptance of the will of God, despite the fact that she did not know how it would work out for her, uh, is is very powerful. 
you know, that that we don't volunteer for problems, even if we love the Lord. Uh, in a sense, the Blessed Mother did. Uh, uh, she said yes to what the Lord asked, even though it it would mean that she was misunderstood. It, clearly, she was misunderstood because, as I read the other day, that there were people who talked about the Blessed Mother in terms not flattering because she was uh, because this child was clearly not Joseph's child. Um, they were talking about this a century or so after Jesus. Uh, and I, I thought that was interesting reading, uh, the, the, the story of, of Mary being, uh, 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 how do I want to put this very delicately that, that Jesus had a human father who was a Roman soldier. I, I'll leave it at that. Of course, this is fascinating to me because it's an acknowledgement of the, from the critics of Christianity that the birth of Jesus was unusual, that Joseph was not, they knew that Joseph was not his father. So they had to explain it some way because, of course, virgin birth, ridiculous. We know it's the truth and we know that the Blessed Mother was absolutely chaste and innocent. Uh, um, as we say in the Catholic Church, a virgin before, during, and after her birth, uh, after the birth of Jesus, uh, she she was inviolate, and um, and I believe wholeheartedly from the evidence of Scripture, the strong evidence of tradition, that Mary had only one son, Jesus. She and Joseph did not have uh, an intimate relationship after the birth of Jesus, and people say, "Well, it says until she did not know him. She didn't did not uh, was not intimate with Joseph until the birth of the Lord." That word in Greek, host, does it mean it has nothing to do with what happens after the birth of Jesus? Uh, as we read in the scriptures, that that um, David refused uh, his wife uh, Michelle. Um, uh, because she mocked him for dancing before the ark and she had no children until the day of her death. Does that mean she had them after? I mean, the word does not imply anything about after. So moving along with all this, saying all that, um, I wonder if the angel didn't say, why don't you go stay with your cousin Elizabeth? And when he says, your kinswoman Elizabeth is with child. She who was barren is now in her sixth month. I think I'm quoting it fairly accurately. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that was the one place, you know, to be pregnant and unmarried was a great scandal, despite what you might have heard. It was a great scandal. To be married and not pregnant was also a scandal. This was, they had a superstition that, that God had closed the womb. We know that's not true, but, uh, um, uh, Elizabeth, wife of a priest, was acquainted with shame, uh, and and uh, and with the longing for a child. Uh, so, go to Elizabeth. She she'll 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 understand. And she did. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the child leapt in her womb uh, and cried out. Uh, the mother of my Lord should come to me. She was given this this infused knowledge by God, this prophetic knowledge. And blessed are you who trusted. Remember, I always take out the word believe and put in the word trust. Blessed are you who trusted that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. There you go. All right. Let's move along here. Um, oh, I'm a little early. I wanted to share. Uh, just <laughs> let me rehearse my Christmas sermon on you. Um, oh, I'm sure. good grief. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, good grief. That's a very nice sermon. There is a story told about a man um, who lived at the edge of town, at a lovely house that looked out over the open fields of the country, and this man did not believe in God. And on a winter morning, his wife and children, who were believers, packed into the car and went off to church, and he stood watching them go uh, from the living room through his big picture window, and... uh, uh, there was a log on the fire and a thick Sunday paper on the coffee table and uh, um, a, a game, a football game on television. And his wife and kids would be gone for quite a bit. So he he was about to settle into a little relaxation. But he noticed that there were a bunch of birds hopping about on the snow in front of his house. And... He got the crazy idea into his head that for some reason they had failed to migrate to Florida. I don't know. He just wasn't much of a bird aficionado, but he was going to save these birds. So over his pajamas and robe, he put on his overcoat and his galoshes, and he opened up the garage door, nice heated uh, adjoining garage, opened up the garage door. And he was going to get these birds into the garage, feed them and water them, breadcrumbs, that sort of thing. Get them all warmed up so they could continue their journey to Florida. That's what came into his head. So he goes out behind the birds and tries to scare them into the garage. And every time that he comes out, they just fly away and then they come back. They fly away. They come back. He's reduced to standing behind them, flapping his his coat like a great mother bird, trying to scare these birds into the garage. And he's, he's doing this absurd thing. He hears the bells from the church across the fields, the church where his wife and children are attending. And in the old days, in some places they still do, uh, ring the bells, the church bells at the consecration, so that the whole area can know that it, the Lord is becoming incarnate in the form of bread and wine in the church. Well, he hears the bells from across, uh, you know, he didn't believe any of this stuff. I mean, if there's a God, how could God be a baby in Nazareth? That's ridiculous. Or a baby in Bethlehem. That's ridiculous. Well, he hears the bells across the fields. And at the same time, he's thinking, if only I could be one of those birds, if only I could speak their language and tell them not to be afraid. He heard the bells and he realized he remembered the verses he'd learned in Sunday school as a child. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he understood. It's as if God had said, I want to be one of them to tell them not to be afraid to trust me. And he fell on his knees in the snow and there accepted Christ. Now, I want to carry it a step further. You can believe that all of the love and all of the beauty and all of the truth that ever was was poured into the arms of the Blessed Mother in the form of a baby. But can you not believe that all of the love and all of the beauty and all of the power and all of the truth that ever there was could be poured into what appears to be a piece of bread and a sip of wine. Because in the Eucharist, again, Christ is made incarnate. In the Eucharist, 
Christ, speaking for the Father, says again, Be not afraid. The Eucharist is Christmas every day. When the very Son of God becomes flesh and blood for love of us, to tell us how much God loves us. And so, as you celebrate this Christmas, understand that that bread and wine is no longer bread and wine, but has become Christ, who is placed in your hands just as surely as he was placed in the embrace of the Blessed Mother and in the protection of Joseph, his foster father. So, God grant you a Merry Christmas and understand that the Eucharist is Christmas every day. Let's take a break and we'll come back with some letters and uh, we'll open the phones at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help with this year's health insurance open enrollment. They offer individual, couple, and family options to best fit your needs. Before January 15th, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. Malakilikimaka is a thing to say on a bright Hawaiian Christmas day. That's the island greeting that we send to you from the land where palm trees sway. Here we know that Christmas. I had no idea that Bing Crosby spoke in tongues. All right, moving along. Uh, uh, Moving along, let us go to letters. All right, here's a letter. This is from Paul in Providence. Uh, is this, is, is the, the annunciation, the, the story about, uh, the angel Gabriel coming to the blessed mother, is that the first mention of the Holy Spirit in scripture, particularly in the books of the Torah? No. In the very first chapter, we read that the Holy Spirit, uh, hovered over the waters. Uh, that, that is the exact same word. Um, that the, the Holy Spirit is throughout the Old Testament. Um, the, the thing that is uh, uh, new for us is that, uh, you can hear me clicking in the background, uh, that the Holy Spirit is a person. <laughs> and, and that God, the, the oneness of God is not a, a oneness of solitude, but solidarity. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Um, so uh, this idea of in Psalm 104, we read, when you send your spirit, they are created. Remember the word spirit means breath. That's, that's, that's all it means. So uh, um, uh, the spirit of God is, is throughout the scriptures. Uh, and and um, uh, what we do is we get to know him as a person. So I hope that helps. Let's see here. Let me... Click that, erase that, and go to that. Another letter. All right. This is from Margaret. 
I invited a friend to Christmas Eve services, knowing well, full well she's Catholic, but not in full communion with the church. I'm not sure quite what that means. Um, a Catholic who is baptized, uh, uh, um, uh, confirmed and communed is in full, even just baptized, I would say, that full communion. She may disagree with some church teachings, as the voice in my head said, or what Margaret may mean is she's not in, as far as she knows, a state of grace. Who knows? That's Only God can judge that. But before COVID hit and the churches were closed, she rarely have ever attended Masses. Even so, Christmas Eve services, she will still receive Holy Communion. In the past, we, past we have discussed this at length. She sees nothing wrong in her actions. On the other hand, I feel very guilty. Am I culpable? Is this a sin, and should should I be taking to confession? You, no, you you said what you you had to say, and um, you know this is this is what we in the world of theology call invincible ignorance. That's <laughs> one of my favorite theological categories. I would suspect this is a case of invincible ignorance. Uh, vincible ignorance is don't tell me, I don't want to know. That's that you have a duty to know whether something is moral or moral, immoral to the best of your ability. But invincible ignorance, you know, now this is why you shouldn't rob banks and you go step A, B, C, D, and the person you're talking to says, I don't get it. Let me go over it again. A, B, C, D, E, this is why you shouldn't rob banks. I don't get it. This woman, you've done your best. And, and I think that, you know, uh, taking uh, her to midnight mass, um, you know what? I don't know if, oh, oh dear, I might be about to say something stupid, and probably I'm wrong about this, but I wonder if you going to midnight mass with her might, no, no, that's not right. It's never right. I was going to suggest abstain from communion on her part. It might shake her a little, but I, I don't, I, I, something inside me is saying, no, you need to go to communion yourself and to, to, to use communion in a sacrificial way beyond the sacrifice, of the mass probably not good. But if there's something you could do, you know, if it, if it, if it led you to tears, um, you know, that, that, that you've spoken the truth. And I think, all you can do is really pray for this woman um, that she come to understand the, uh, the truth of the faith. And if she is in a state of sin, well, she doesn't go to mass. Uh, that objectively is a state of sin. And, and you know, I, I think that having shared once, maybe shared twice, uh, you're doing your best. So, it's a tough thing. You know, you want to continue to, to love her, but you want to love her in truth. And um, if the conversation comes up, you know, uh, go at it again. You know, you can show her that text in St. Paul in 1 Corinthians where he says, those who eat and drink unworthily eat and drink to condemnation. So this isn't doing you any good. So maybe maybe that's the tech you want to try. But, you know, make sure you do it in a loving way and just say, I worry about it. I worry that you're hurting yourself by doing this. Um, I think that's the tech to take. So, all right, there we go. Oh, by the way, uh, I, I wanted to mention that, that um, uh, this idea I had of the Blessed Mother being told by the angel, why don't you go see your cousin Elizabeth? That's just my theory. 
and it isn't it isn't i as i always say i don't know i wasn't there take it with a grain of salt exactly so don't say well the blessed mother was you know it's interesting she went in haste to the hill country that that's kind of suggestive to me but maybe just me all right let's go to another letter this is from jessica i read a theory the other day that's been shaky oh this is a good one jessica Hang on. I read about a theory the other day that has been shaking my faith ever since. It is said that Moses invented Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, that's the sacred name of God, from a Midianite God that had a similar spelling. He would have done this because he was influenced by his father-in-law who was a Midianite priest. It's also said that Elohim was similar to another tribe's God, El. What should we do with this info? Is this a theory you've heard of? Why would God choose names for himself that were similar to the names of the pagan gods? Well, if you go to India, they will talk about God and the gods. So we should stop calling God God? No. <laughs> uh, the, the, the word YHWH is, seems to be related to the word for being. Uh, high is life and, and uh, uh, to be, I can't think of the verb to be in Hebrew, but it's, it's, it involves Ys and Hs and that sort of thing. Uh, the, um, the word YHWH uh, really probably means the creator or the cause of being. Uh, well, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, I'm looking at Hebrew congreg congregations. <laughs> no, conjugations. Uh, and they involve Y's and H's, that sort of thing. L'chayoth is to be. Uh, uh, so I think that's it, L'chayoth. But the revelation of God to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, the revel revelation of God to Moses, it was very slow to be uh, adopted. Um, that that name, God names might have been similar, but the God who created the universe, the God who caused the universe to be, is God. Uh, very, you know that that schmaltzy movie, uh, the Ten Commandments, with Yul Brenner and Charlton Heston and all those people. Uh, at the end, the Pharaoh's wife, I can't forget the, I can't remember the star who played her, but, um, uh, she says, can't you, you're the Pharaoh, can't you, uh, tell, ask the gods to, to, uh, revive our son? And Yul Brenner gets a distant look and he says, the God of Moses is God. And that's the point. Uh, L is just the standard, uh, 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 Semitic word for God. And Elohim is a sort of mag majestic plural of it. Uh, that, that it means uh, the one who is above. <laughs> That's what it means. Uh, for instance, uh, I've shared this before. The word God is an Indo-European word that probably means the one to whom prayers are addressed. That's quite possibly the meaning of the word God. The word Deus, which comes into Spanish as Dios, and English as Dieu, and into Italian as Dios, and uh, Greek as Zeus, that probably comes from an Indo-European Indo word meaning the shining one. So these are all descriptions of the creator of the universe. So YHWH being the name of uh, a god that was worshipped in the area, that's absolutely true. But the insight of Moses given him by revelation 
was that this is the only God, not one of a pantheon, and the history of Israel is trying to grasp that. They practiced uh, polytheism in many places and idolatry for a long time after their deliverance uh, from Egypt and their entrance into the Holy Land. Um, and people, when they discover an idol of YHWH, they get all excited and say, oh, they weren't monotheistic. They were, they were, they were idolaters. Well, haven't you read the prophets who are saying, stop doing that? They said, stop doing that, or God's going to send you into exile, which he did. And they came back quite purified. So I wouldn't get too worried that they had common names for God that would have been also used in other, among other communities, because... <laughs> We do, too. We call him God. and uh, But isn't that the same as the Hindus? Isn't that the same as the Rastafarians? Isn't it? Yeah. We got only so many words. I hope I hope that helps and it will not shake. You know, you'll 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 realize that that all of those Midianite gods and all those uh, foreign gods didn't enter into covenant with the house of Israel. The God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ did. All right. I think that that's kind of fun. All right. Let me see if I got another letter I want to look at. Okay. Um, this is, uh, oh, by the way, there's the, 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 we got plenty of lines open. And uh, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Let me do another letter. Um, let's see here. Okay. I have a question about the third commandment. Keep holy the Sabbath. I don't hear much talk about the third commandment uh, until recently. So I wanted to know if you could explain how to honor the Sabbath, like the fact we can't go shopping or spending money or go out to eat on a Sunday after mass. What should our Sunday mass look like? What should our Sundays after mass look like? Okay, the Catholic. Oh, this is a lot of history. This is going to take some some work. We no longer follow kosher regulations. The third commandment is keep holy the Sabbath. Now, there's more stuff about do no labor on it, that sort of thing. In the early church, on the first day of the week, Sunday, they went, apparently, from what I gleaned from my education, was that they had, at sunrise, before the day started, they would gather to, in the words of Pliny, about 110 A.D., Pliny the Younger, to swear a sacrament. And I have a feeling that, that this was uh, the Eucharist. And then they gathered again for uh, a communal meal, it seems, in the evening, which was accompanied by prayers. And that was the Sunday observance of the early church, as far as I can tell. Under the Byzantine Roman emperors in Christianity, Sunday became as if a Sabbath. Sabbath is Saturday. Sunday is for us as if a Sabbath. And it has become, uh, uh, it is a day of rest. Why is a day of rest so important? Because slaves don't get a day of rest. Uh, sons do. Sons and daughters are slaves of their father, but they get a few perks. So, our, our observance of a day of rest in the week is a statement that God can do it without me. That's very important to understand. God can do it without me. 
what we teach, you can read in the catechism about this. If you cannot maintain a living and put food on the table for your family without working on Sunday, you can work on Sunday. But if you can, you should do no work or as little work as possible on Sunday and make it a day of church. The The primary way we honor the Lord's day is by our participation at Sunday mass. And the rest of the day can be dedicated to family and food and fun, uh, to enjoy the leisure that God gives you. And it wouldn't hurt to say a family rosary together or maybe uh, learn how to say the liturgy, the hours, uh, vespers together. But it, it should be a day dedicated to, to faith and family. If that's not possible, then find another evening that you could make family night. Um, the observance is flexible, and I would recommend you look at the, the catechism. So that's what we believe about it. And it's true. People don't talk about it much. I really think well, when I was a kid, and the woolly mammoth still roamed, the, uh, uh, everything was closed on a Sunday. That was deemed uh, illegal, and uh, everything's open now. And Sunday is no longer the day of the Lord. It's the day of the Walmart. Uh, or the day of the dry cleaner, or the day of the shopping mall. Uh, it's when I can get stuff done. And we return to, to a slavery as, of our pos, possession. Uh, we return as slaves to our possessions uh, to to make sure that you have a Sunday dinner with the family, the whole family, from the from the moment the kids are born. They're used to it. That's the routine. Um, it's a beautiful thing that will sustain you in your family life. Uh, prayer together and eating together, this is a real important thing. Um, again, we have flexibility about it when there's necessity. But you see, God gives us the commandments as grace. And this idea of honoring the Lord's day is a gift from the Lord. Uh, oh, it's such a bother. I can't go shopping. I can't do this. It's a gift to, to a freedom, freedom from from the normal drudgeries of life. And so I, I really do recommend that you think about it. And I have often thought that if all of the evangelicals and all of the uber Catholics refused to spend money on Sunday, stores would start closing. So who knows? But you can do this in your own life to create a sacred space for your family because they're ultimately God's family. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break. I'll come back with a word of the day and then we will go to the phones. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Today we'd like to thank Koi, who's listening in California, for donating their Isuzu work truck. Join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com slash car today. Well, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know. Where the treetops are frenzied to a white Christmas. Yes, where I am, it's going to be a white Christmas and an intensely cold Christmas. Oy. But moving along, let's go to the word of the day. You gotta love the opening of today's first reading. Hark, my lover, here he comes. Springing across the mountains, leaping across the hills, my lover is like a gazelle. 
Well, first of all, I always get a kick out of the word hark. When was the last time you said to someone, said to your children, hark, children, hark? <laughs> means listen up, <laughs> listen. <laughs> but the word of the day is gazelle. I think it's pretty funny. Gazelles are relatively small antelopes. <laughs> I'm looking at a definition. My lover is like a relatively small antelope. <laughs> well, it's it's not that bad, really. I looked it up in Hebrew, and it's a lovely word. It's a tzvi. Uh, tzvi is, it, it really means beauty, honor, but refers also to uh, a gazelle. So, uh, um it's, it's, the gazelle wasn't called a gazelle, whatever gazelle. I don't know the etymology word gazelle, but uh, I should have looked that up. But uh, the 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 word in Hebrew means a beauty. They are beautiful. I don't know if you've ever seen a gazelle, but they're fawn-colored and they're very agile and they hop about. And uh, that's what she's saying. My my lover is like a beauty. So there you go. Well, that said. My lover's like a guess, like a small antelope. Okay. Well, let's go to the phones. Hello. Hello, Helen. What can I do for you from Ben from Burnsville, Minnesota? Hi, Father Simon. Hey, I have a question about the presentation of Jesus. Yes. Would Joseph have taken the baby Jesus up to a certain part of the temple to be circumcised and presented? Um, yes, I think so. Uh, generally speaking, well, the circumcision didn't have to happen in the temple. Circumcision happened on the eighth day. The presentation is the buying back of, uh, as far as I can tell, it gets a little hard to coordinate these things with Hebrew customs, but you had to buy back the firstborn. Uh, you know, the, the firstborn belonged to the Lord and you went and made an offering and a sacrifice to buy back the firstborn. That would have been done by Joseph. Yeah. But the circumcision that, that could have happened that could have happened in Bethlehem that didn't necessarily happen in the temple. Two different two different events uh, happened on the eighth day. Okay, does that just, help? It it does because would Mary have gotten to to a different part of the temple for her purification? Uh, uh, yeah, she would. She would not have gone. You see, the temp, there was the court of Israel, or there was also called the court of the women that any any Israelite in the covenant could go into. And then beyond that, there was the court of the men, and beyond that, the court of the priests, and beyond that, the holy place, and beyond that, the holy of holies. So it was a, it was a woman could only go up to a certain point. And in Orthodox synagogues, they still separate men and women uh, um, with what they call, oh, not a mishkitza, not a mishkitza, I can't think of the word, mechitza. A mechitza is a curtain that separates them. Or the women will be up in a balcony. I think in the temple they actually had a kind of balcony that, that women could go to. But but um, it's reasonable that Joseph would have gone with his firstborn son into the as far into the temple as he could have so and uh, to offer sacrifice. So that's my thought, you know. But again, okay. I wasn't there. All right, there you go. That's that's. I hope I'm right. And if Thank anybody you. knows I'm wrong, call in and let me know. All right, thanks for calling in, Helen. Have a good Christmas, thanks. Daniel. Daniel from Long Island. You thanks, thanks, Helen. Daniel, what can Hello. I do for you? Hello, Daniel. Uh, what can I do for you? Thank you for taking my call, and uh, I learn a lot from your program, and uh, well, it's really uh, informative. Well, thank you. Thank God for that. Um, my question you. is: Is um, Abraham takes Isaac uh, to sacrifice? When God asked him to sacrifice his son, 
it it seems like he's like one two three ready and go he say he doesn't hesitate he don't ask any questions so my my um question is why he do that like like usually the the human sacrifice is only the pagan gods do yahweh yehovah did never didn't or require human sacrifice so when i read this scripture um abraham doesn't hesitate or ask any question he's get ready and, and he does and so question is was there any kind of human sacrifice recorded uh prior to that like like any kind of practice of this before yes not, not among not among well there were no jews at the time you, you know looking strictly speaking abraham was not a jew he he couldn't have been you couldn't be a jew until mount sinai now the orthodox rabbis say that that the 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 details of the law were revealed miraculously and intuitively ahead of time to Abraham, but I don't know about that. Uh, but strictly speaking, you couldn't be a follower of the law of Moses until the law of Moses was given on on Mount Sinai. So there was a certain fluidity uh, in worship. Abraham was given the, the truth. There, there was only one God. The sacrifice of children was incredibly common in the ancient world both in the Americas and in the Middle East. Uh, we have lots of archaeological proof of it. In this act, God revealed to Abraham no more sacrificing of children. That, I think, was part of the point of it. And, and Abraham, the scripture says, did this as proof of his absolute dedication to God, because this was his longed-for son, and he would give up his own longings for the sake of, of God, that was powerful. And that's why God said, no, don't do that. Um, in that act, God ended uh, the sacrifice, human sacrifice, the sacrifice of children. But before that, it was incredibly common among the Canaanites among whom Abraham lived. Does that answer the question? Yes, but uh, it does answer the question. So, so, so Abraham had should have, I guess, had a set of rules um, uh, to go by when he do the worship and sacrifice. So, I suppose well, yeah, that the, the, whatever. Yeah, in that the, rule, the, 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 not that was very common. Was not a, sure. not, so, in that rule, the human sacrifice was not a forbidden thing. So, I guess there, whoever. Other other people also who follow the the God of Abraham, maybe somebody may have done sacrifice like real oh, sacrifice. Well, yeah, oh like, yeah, you know that that yes, that it it took a while for them to abandon the practices of the Canaanites, and we see later on in the scriptures that some of the kings of Israel seem to have sacrificed some of their children following the laws of the Canaanites. It took a long time to get people used to the idea of a holy God who was one, and that's it. So, well, thanks for calling in, Daniel. It's uh, an interesting question, and, and again, thanks for listening. Let's go to Gina from San Diego. Are you with us, Gina? Hello, Father. I'm here. Merry Christmas. Good. Merry, merry, happy, happy. What can I do for you? Yes. I. Uh, so years ago, a priest told me that a saint is actually better or higher up in God's opinion than an angel because the saint has been tested uh, through life. And now I'm wondering, why do we pray to St. Michael the Archangel? Is he a saint yes. or is he an angel? Yes, he is. 
<laughs> He's both. You see, the word saint is just a, a translation of the Latin word sanctus, which means a holy one, holy Michael, a holy Mary, a holy Peter. Uh, we, we, in English, we use the word sanctus, but it just means holy. That's all it means. And um, I don't know that I would say that, that uh, saints are superior to angels. Angels went through their own testing, and uh, the ones who failed the test are, are the evil spirits, uh, uh, the, the devil and his angels. You hear about that in Scripture. Uh, the word angel just means messenger. There are heavenly messengers, and there are uh, demonic messengers. So um, this idea that, that uh, somehow the angels are superior to human beings or human beings are superior to angels, I think you always got to remember it's not a competition, that the saints are, uh, are, are what God wants them to be, and the angels, the holy angels, are what God wants them to be. So I wouldn't say one is dearer or better. It's just a different dimensional reality. Uh, it's almost science fiction. We live in this dimension. We live on the edge of two dimensions, the physical and the spiritual. Angels are pure spirits. We're not. We're incarnate spirits. So it's just a different a different dimensionality. Uh, and, you know, there is the angels are loved by God, I, I assume, and uh, so are we. Does that help? Yes, very much. Thanks so much. God bless. Thanks and have a Merry Christmas, Gina. Lynn from too, Ocean bye bye. bye bye. Ocean County, New Jersey. Are you with us? I am. Father, I'm curious if you're familiar with the diary of Elizabeth Kindleman and the flame of love rosary that's kind of sprouted from that. And if so, what are your thoughts? And the message that comes with it is what I love and how do we introduce it to rather resistant parishioners if you think it should even be done well the flame of love i i am not real familiar with it but i have dear friends who are truly saintly people who are very much involved with it and i i believe it is it is uh, the whole flame of love movement is is uh, well what's the word i'm looking for is kosher uh so um uh, you know i i i think that that it's a fine thing and how do you convince people by being the most wonderful person they know you know that, <sighs> that you can't go we should be saying this rosary that's not how it works uh, you know that oh i'm saying that i this wonderful wonderful prayer and and uh um you know, this, this, I, I, this, this idea, I, I'm reading something that says, I found the flame of love rosary for every three Hail Marys. I say I can take ten souls out of purgatory. That's not true. That was, I think that was Leo the Thirteenth who said, you can't do that. You can't say, you know, three Hail Marys, ten souls, doesn't work. Doesn't work with the prayer of St. Gertrude. Doesn't work with the flame of rosary. But the flame of love rosary, when understood, is a very beautiful thing. So, uh, to the best of my knowledge, if it's the thing I'm thinking about, um, there are lots of different varieties of the rosary. So, you know, you don't, you don't say, you got to be saying this. This is, what's it, this is the church of what's happening now. That You don't do that. You just, if people look at you and they say, I want what you have, say, well, I say this prayer. You might want to try it. That's how I would do it. Does that help a little, Lynn? It helps a lot, and I like that answer. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank I just you. love God the bless. message that comes from that flame of yeah. love. The flame it's of not love, so I... I it's just a message, I, you know, and it's, it's just fourteen extra words that become, like you say, a prayer, yeah, and that's yeah, it. Yeah, it's 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 uh, from what I've heard and the people I know, it's it seems like a good thing. There you go. Well, good. Thank you, Jeff from Bettendorf, Iowa. Bettendorf, cool place. What can I do for you, Jeff? 
Yeah, um, I, I'm wondering how does how would the church? It seems like the papacy, and I know at least one bishop that seem to be softening their position on homosexuality. How would that be reconciled with with Saint Paul's writings and Romans, which seem pretty pretty stern? And Corinthians, how do these things get reconciled? Well, the Catechism speaks eloquently about it. Uh, And what the Catechism says is that a a sexual preference or dysfunction that we do not choose, uh, that's not the issue. It's it's intimacy outside of marriage, physical intimacy outside of marriage, and marriage, same-sex marriage, we judge to be impossible. One should have great compassion for a person who has a sexual dysfunction, but one does not encourage the sin. And I don't know any bishop personally who is encouraging the sin. So I hope that helps. You, 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 you speak the truth in love. That's what you do. You speak the truth in love, which is what Drew's about to do.